Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and consumer-facing startups. If you're a founder of a B2C business and currently fundraising, I run a private newsletter where I share companies to past the future guests of the show that I think are interesting. If you'd like to apply to be on the newsletter, head over to theconsumervc.com backslash startup. Our guest today is Nadine Habayev, co-founder and CEO of Bohana. Bohana is a popped water lily seed snack brand that believes in a free-spirited snacking. On this episode, we discuss the insight that she discovered that led her to starting Bohana, elements of Eastern traditions and cultures that have crossed over into the Western world, her Shark Tank experience, and how she approaches customer discovery for a new product. It was so amazing having her on, and without further ado, here's Nadine. Dean, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, how are you? It's a pleasure. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate you taking the time. Let's talk about the beginning. What initially attracted you to entrepreneurship and led you to finally starting up Bohana? Yeah, I I actually was always interested in entrepreneurship. I specifically went back to business school to give myself the toolkit that I need to shift careers and also learn what I needed to um, in retrospect there is nothing like doing it yourself to learn but uh, business school was a good experience and I was uh, at Babson College here in Boston it's where I it's where I finished I actually started in IE in uh, IE business school in Madrid in Spain and uh, finished up here at Babson and that was just an amazing, amazing experience. Boston, especially Babson's community, is just so wonderful. Uh, it's such a great place to start a business. Uh, such fantastic people around us. So I was heading back to, to Babson. I had about a semester left of school. And at the time is when my co-founder, Priyal, introduced me to the ingredient, the water lily seeds. And we talked about how this would be such a great concept to bring to the U.S., such a great, beautiful ingredient that didn't exist here yet. And so what we really did is I got to spend that last six months I had at Babson to leverage the community and really test it out. I was making the snacks at home in my apartment and using my classes, my professors, our community to to validate it and to see if it would be something that we would want to do once I finish school and and do it full time. Talk to me a little bit about like the sourcing process and uh, and a little bit about early days in, in terms of how you even thought about like a supply chain. Sure. So my co-founder had grown up in India and she grew up eating this ingredient. So this was something she was very, very familiar with already. She also happens to come from a background, a family business background in agriculture. And so we sort of already knew that if this was something we were going to do, we knew that it started from the fact that we had this beautiful ingredient, we had access to this beautiful ingredient. And, and, and that was a conversation that we had even before we thought, okay, well, then would the US even enjoy this? It was, okay, do we have the right ingredient? Uh, and and could, this be, could this be viable? So early in the early days, I was just buying from uh, local specialty Indian stores. Uh, some in the U.S., but also exporting some from India, but it, it wasn't at any sort of scale. They were 
um, enough to make the samples I was making at home. And I was roasting them in my own oven. Right now, we're, of course, at a manufacturing scale, we're, we're roasting them in huge tumblers. So um, we just started really making them at home and getting them to our, our friends, our family, uh, our farmers markets, our community. And when we got that validation, we decided to take some time to actually build the supply chain. We knew it was going to be most of, one of the most important parts of the foundation of our business. And so Priel did an amazing job on the back end at really building out the supply chain that we have today. What we were able to do is actually cut out the middleman and source our seeds directly from our farmers. It allows us to uh, compete on price, compete on quality, and ensure a sustainable supply chain through and through. So we actually work directly with this aggregate of farmers. Um, we are very proud of that. We know it is the reason we have the best quality ingredients. Uh, it also is, you know, this is, I like to call this a commodity that's not really commoditized yet. It's a very uh, new ingredient to the to the West, it's not new to the East, it's been eaten in India for centuries, but the global demand and growth of this ingredient is only quite recent in the past five years. And so as that infrastructure of the ingredient is developing on the local harvest side, we're also trying to navigate that from an import process. So being able to control our supply chain is really, really important to us. And we were able to do that. So Priyal uh, spent really a great good amount of time uh, building that supply chain and building those relationships and those relationships are ones that you know we're so grateful for especially in times of crisis as we're in now that we're, that we're we're really grateful to have what was the process like since you since you go directly to farmers what was kind of the buy-in that you had to to get from farmers? I'd imagine you had to sell a considerable amount first up if you wanted to buy directly from farmers or what that process was like. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually didn't go in and purchase until we were ready to, to produce at a larger scale. We were buying, we were buying wholesale in our testing period. Um, when it was, when it came time to do our actual like product that we were going to sell, um, that's when we knew that we, we were, ready to buy in quantity that would be appropriate for these farmers and for us to to actually import what was you know a container or half a container early on and that was very high risk for us I mean, we're con we're importing a container worth of seeds that we definitely had validation for that was something we were going to pursue but it was at a much much smaller scale so we definitely made a, a risk by doing it but we really believed in it and you know thank god we did because uh, it was it was so far so good um we had we were essentially building until we decided to launch we were really building that supply chain and uh, all of the stakeholders so we had our supply chain from a ingredient perspective uh working with the farmers directly uh working with our import partners importing them ourselves into the US and the next part was a, was a manufacturing process. Did we wanna make them ourselves? Did we wanna do that you know, in the form of a, working with a commissary kitchen or um, was it a co-packer? Was it a residential kitchens if we really wanted to, do, to start a, a smaller scale? 
uh, none of those channels are uh, better or worse. We chose the direction of a co-packer because we really wanted to be storefront ready as soon as we launched our product. It required a little bit more investment and a little bit more time, but what it allowed us to do was really produce our product at a scale and manufacturing quality standard level that we were really, really happy with. We also looked to our co-packing partner for guidance in manufacturing. Me and my co-founder Priyal, this was our first time entering not only any entrepreneurial ventures, but food. And we really uh, leveraged our community for, uh, for their guidance on, on a lot. So, so working with a partner, a co-manufacturer was very, very helpful. We did have a challenge finding a co-packer in the beginning. Generally, a lot of co-packers that we reached out to were a little bit hesitant because they had never heard of the ingredient before. All they heard was the seed from India and kind of brushed it off like, eh, I'm not really sure I'm going to take this on. And though the, the what we needed to produce it was not so complex, most people had it, it was just the fact that it was this totally new ingredient. Um, but eventually, after calling hundreds of co-packers, we found a partner that uh, would work with us, and we're really grateful for them. They have been an amazing partner so so far, and we continue to work with them. Which we get, we we have to. I have to say, was you know, knock on wood is great because I think it's rare to have hit it off with your co-packer on the first time. But um, it's definitely been a great relationship so far, and with that commitment of a co-packer we also knew that meant that we had to commit to scale not a huge scale but more than we would do at a commissary kitchen so we needed to produce in a large quantity buy in a large quantity and be ready to do that with our packaging and our branding and our distribution strategy our storage so we really built this entire supply chain um to before we before we went in and, and sort of took the, the final leap of a final product. We import our seeds from India uh, because the ingredient is grown in mostly in India. Actually, 90% of the world's production of this ingredient grows in India. Other parts uh, of the world that produce it are Japan and China, but we don't have any growth of this ingredient uh, in any other parts of the world. So that's the only part of our product that comes from India, the seeds. And the rest, we manufacture and source all the rest of our ingredients here in the U.S. What are some of the advantages of going direct to farmer and, and, and some of the challenges? I mean, the advantages are that you can ensure a sustainable supply chain. You can ensure fair wages by going directly to the farmers. You, can, you have transparency into the process of your harvest. Of course, much more logistically challenging. There is not, you know, one different uh, suppliers sort of that, that represent the aggregate of farmers, but it is logistically much more complicated. But for the benefits of having that, that transparency and that sustainability, uh, for us, it was well worth it. Uh, we do then, we did then need to take on a lot of other things that would have been different on wholesale. We do our own quality control. We do our own sorting of the ingredient. We do our own importing of the ingredient, our own uh, packaging uh, to prepare, prepare it for importing. So those are all part of our supply chain, whereas 
if you are going to be producing from or buying from a supplier at wholesale, generally a lot of those things are already done. So you already buying your your ingredient after it's been you know, gone through quality control, after it's gone through all its packaging, and you're just kind of getting that ready. Definitely um, a much more seamless experience, but uh, less transparency. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks for sharing your process and the reasons why you want to go direct to farmers. So tell me about all of your stakeholders. So our stakeholders are our farmers, our partners that help us yeah, finally get our, our final product to the U.S., so the, the shipping and logistics arm, and then our co-packer, our suppliers here in the U.S. that produce our packaging, our boxes, all our seasoning, things like that, that uh, we, we all source ourselves. And then, you know, onto the, the front end, our retailers, our buyers, and our customers. We spoke before about the brand. You invested a lot in your brand at the very beginning. Why was that so important to you? We knew that there was going to be an element of consumer education with a new ingredient that didn't exist in the U.S. before. Because of that, we really wanted to get our branding right. We wanted to get our messaging right. We wanted to make sure that this could be something that didn't take too long for somebody to understand or would be willing to give it a try. And because of that, we wanted to make sure we invested early on in building that brand. Our brand is, is super, super important to us. We spent a very long time, worked with an incredible uh, agency partner that helped us ideate not only our design, but also our entire framework from our logo to the name of our company to our core uh, whys. And that was a very, very helpful exercise to go through very early on because you know, two years later now, we still look back at that framework and say, okay, are we being true to the brand? Are we answering this why? And uh, it was it was something I absolutely am so glad that we invested in early on and I, I would do it again. I think brand is everything. Um, and yeah, that was it. I completely agree with you about branding. I wanted to also discuss, you know, back in the early days, how you were thinking about distribution when you were first starting out. We, we were really learning as much as we could early on. We started with the smallest quantity that we could produce and wanted to get that into market to learn as much as we could about our messaging, about our price point, about our, our channels, the size of our bags, all sorts of things. So early on, what we did is actually started direct to consumer. It was the quickest way to start selling. Um, we built our Amazon storefronts, we built our own website uh, e-commerce channels, and we started really putting the brand out there, participating in different events and working with different um, sampling opportunities, really trying to get it out there. We were also working closely with our local independent and specialty stores. No major chains at that time, but really ones that we could have daily conversations with. We could go into the stores and demo. We could get feedback from customers immediately. We spent about the first six months of our brand just selling primarily direct to consumer and in a, a number of these smaller independents in our, new, excuse me, in our neighborhood. And 
that was really helpful because we were able to build this story and this case that we could then take to retailers a little bit further on to say, hey, you know, we've been in business for about six months. These are our numbers online. This is what we're selling on Amazon. This is what we're selling on our website. And it was also a lot easier for us to do that because we could immediately target a number of different groups and test them. So we knew, for example, this ingredient was very popular amongst the Ayurvedic and yoga community. This is an ingredient that has been eaten in India for centuries as part of this holistic diet, as part of this of mind-body life science called Ayurveda, which is now growing in popularity in the West. But it's essentially where yoga comes from. And so when we were tapping into this community to present them Bohana to them, many of them actually had already heard of the ingredient. So that was great because there was this element of consumer education that was that was taken down and we were able to get feedback on taste and price points and flavors. Um, and, and that was really awesome. And we also got to build some early on ambassadors for the brand by doing that. We also, that was sort of the first group that we were, we were selling to. And then we got into a little bit of the larger wellness community that this was an ingredient that was a great alternative to corn. It was easily digestible. It's an anti-inflammatory. It has uh, amino acids and antioxidants that you don't find in other pop snacks. It was not very uh, processed. It's not extruded. It's just roasted and seasoned. So very, very light. So a lot of these benefits we were presenting to the greater wellness community. Out of that, we then identified more of this millennial woman this millennial woman who was purchasing our product and really enjoying it. One of the coolest insights that came out of that was that these millennial women were also first time mothers and they were sharing this snack with their kids. And it was a snack they wanted to bring home to share with their family because it was a snack not only they could enjoy, but they could offer to their children as well because there was no kernel, there was no choking hazard. They wouldn't get stuck in braces. They were soft enough for a young child to to enjoy. And so we were surprised to have this new demographic that we hadn't originally realized was a target of ours that became one that now we were talking to mothers and kids. And this could be a great kid snack. So that entire journey from starting to distribute directly to consumers um, help us identify those targets and then help us build our stories for then when we went into more of the traditional retail route. Yeah, I loved hearing that story of that unexpected insight of, you know, selling to the millennial parent, but the actual consumer ended up becoming their children. The folks that maybe hadn't heard about what pop water lily seeds uh, were, what was kind of that sales process in terms of educating the consumer? Yes, good question. I, so we look at our communication funnel sort of as this pyramid where at the top of it, you have two seconds with a consumer and you want to explain what this is. And the way that we do that right now is better for you popcorn. It's a very similar pop snack. It has more nutrient density, fewer calories and fat, more protein and no kernel. So 
very simply, if we only have a few seconds with somebody, what could this be? And then if you grasp their attention and you get a little bit more time with them, you can go into the story of really that nutrient density, that comparison to other snacks that are out there and the better for you benefits. If they're interested further, we like to talk about the history of the ingredient. It comes from India. It's been eaten there for centuries. It's part of this holistic wellness and holistic wellness science in India. And then if they're interested even further, we get to talk about the Ayurvedic aspect of it, the way that it plays into people's lives, what it's prescribed for in these holistic environments, things like that. So what's really beautiful about Bohana and this ingredient that I was very was very interested in when I was introduced to it for the first time was very simply it tastes good it tastes good and it's good for you and that's all I really needed to know in the beginning but then I started to learn more and more about this ingredient about its history about its uses and in ancient cultures it has this incredibly beautiful story behind it that we love to share and I understand that sometimes with the communication funnel you can't really jump to that yet but we hope that our customers and we're seeing that our customers that do like the product if they've just tried it as an alternative because they can't eat corn finally under I have actually gone through this communication funnel and do enjoy hearing the story in the background behind it but it really to your point it's, it's you really just have to start with this is a really great tasting snack because that's the most important thing. And then as we get to know our customers, we get to take them through the rest. Got it. Yeah. Because I mean, I'd imagine, especially starting off, you know, D on, on the DTC channel, it's hard to, you know, show or convince customers that, you know, this is a amazing tasting product and, a, and, you know, a, a superfood when they, they, you know, haven't tried it yet. Right just add to that though to say that we did sell direct to consumer but that didn't mean that we didn't get our product to people we we understood the importance of sampling we understood the importance of trials so though we were not necessarily in stores demoing we were getting the product to people i mean we were uh at we had different collaborations with all sorts of, of different partners for example core power yoga we were in a different core power yoga a couple times a week uh, just with a table passing out samples of Bohana so people could try it. We were sending snacks to different events where we knew our target market would be. We were setting up in, uh, in, in Boston all over uh, different university events within our, our branch food communities, uh, a whole ton of different things. So we were trying to be as many places as we could be. We were in a ton of gift bags. We participated very early on in um, in Snack Nation Snack Box, where we got our product to uh, a thousand homes and offices for people to try. So sampling is still very very important, even though it's direct to consumer. We were getting we were getting it to people, and hopefully, what happened is they would try it and then they would come learn more and purchase the product. Th that's really helpful. Just wondering how you how you thought about how you think about price just uh, in in general. Of course, it's been probably one of the more challenging parts of our product market fit because we have this communication of this popcorn alternative. But of course the ingredient is not the same price as popcorn. Popcorn is the world's cheapest corn, is the world's cheapest commodity. 
so, uh, and this is an ingredient that, as we said earlier, it's not really commoditized. So we have, there's, there's labor. These are uh, hand harvested by their farmers. They're imported from another country. They're, you know, there's a lot of love that goes on behind the scenes to this ingredient. And so we did have to build our, we had to build in the, the value into our price points. It's, not the same price as popcorn, but what we found is that our product lives with its natives on a shelf and where we're seeing it actually live in the supermarket quite comfortably. So it's not popcorn, but it is the same as your vegetable puffs, your um, your chickpeas, your coconut chips, your kale chips, all your alternative alternative snacks, your alternative ingredient snacks where Bohana was living in a shelf actually fit really well um we actually don't position ourselves with popcorn and potato chips in a supermarket we position ourselves more in that better for you aisle that's now becoming much more prevalent in stores and in retail retail channels i appreciate that thanks for sharing also how you position your your product when did you first realize or start to think that you might have had product market fit a few things i think the general trends were we were seeing was that the snack category was growing the puffed categories were growing consumers were looking for alternative ingredients people were open to biodiversity i think one of the important most important things that we're really proud of and that is the core at our mission and our mission is to celebrate the biodiversity that we have in the world you know, so many, I believe, and we'll fact check this, but I think it's that 50% of our plant-based calories come from three ingredients, rice, corn, and wheat. That was, that is not only um, affecting our environment, but it's affecting our food supply chain. And there are thousands of other plant species in the world that we could be using and that are eaten in other parts of the world. And we saw the kinds of trends happen like, quinoa and acai and chia um, that have been eaten in other parts of the world for so long and that are now growing in popularity in the U.S. So we started to see those trends. We knew those were happening. We knew people were open to new ingredients. We also specifically for this ingredient itself saw that it was becoming so popular in other parts of the world. So it was growing in, in the other, other parts of Asia, in the Middle East, in Europe. Um, in particular in the UK, there were a ton of brands that were launching and doing super, super well, um, essentially building an entire category of popped water lily seeds in the supermarket. And so we knew it was a matter of time before the trend was going to reach the US. And with all of those trends of the ingredient, but also those consumer trends that we were seeing going towards new ingredients away from grains, uh, there was a huge grain-free trend that we're, we're now seeing um, especially especially now, um, so grain-free, gluten-free, uh, corn was on a decline. And so this was a really, really good time to present Bohana because it was fulfilling a lot of those things that we saw in consumer trends. 
Yeah, I see the insight there of Eastern trends coming over to the United States and seeing the opportunity that you saw with Bohana. I wanted to know, how did you approach fundraising and what made you consider fundraising? You know, in the beginning of our business, Creole and I, we really bootstrapped, we self-invested, we were each worked before starting the business and put any of all of our own money into it. And we looked to our to fundraising from our community. We were uh, applying for equity free grants, participated in a couple of awesome accelerators. We would do all the pitch competitions that existed. <laughs> so we did get um, some small checks from pitch competitions that we were that we were able to participate in and were successful in. And so that was a lot of the way that we were fundraising in the early stages. We were not spending. Uh, on anything other than the, the development of the brand at that point. We started selling um, and then realized, you know, we wanted to, we realized the amount of, of investment that was needed for growth. Consumer education is very expensive. Marketing is very expensive for a brand new ingredient. And at the time we were doing it alone. There were no other popped water lily seeds in the market yet. Today, there are a couple others that are definitely helping with that consumer education element. We're not the only ones doing it alone, but at the time we were. And so we were having a lot of conversations with early stage venture capitalists. We were uh, meeting a lot of wonderful people. And I think what we had done, you know, for better or for worse, we were definitely too small for a lot of those VCs and we spent a lot of time pitching to them. And everyone was really great, gave us wonderful feedback, advice. We got to build those connections early on. Though we weren't the right fit at the time for many people, we were able to get a lot of great feedback to build our our brand. And we, and we continue to do so, still not having raised. And then we decided to just do a friends and family round. So our seed round was friends and family that we launched um, end of last year, and we just closed, uh, which wrapped up with Shark Tank. And I think this is really, a this was a great step for us. It was the first sort of formal fundraise that we have done. We have our friends and family invested, and we have some great ambassadors with us, and we've raised uh, a seed round that can get us really to the next level. Thank you for sharing how you approach fundraising. I'm really glad that you brought up Shark Tank. I wanted to head there next. What made you apply to Shark Tank? How was your experience? We were manifesting Shark Tank. We were real. This was one of our dreams to, to be able to go on Shark Tank. We were, it's funny because Shark Tank has two casting um, processes. They, uh, you can apply, but they also cast themselves. And the week that we had downloaded the initial application to apply, we were working on the application. I think I was like 75% through the application to submit. We actually got a call from one of the casting producers and uh, asked us to, to apply. Um, and so that it was just really, really awesome. We were just fully manifesting that. And so, we started to go through the experience, uh, the application process. It took quite a long time. Knew we were going to be applying for season 11. There was a quite a stringent process. We did a ton of different interviews, a ton of different uh, videos. 
you know, everyone was awesome. Everyone was really, really cool going through the experience. Just went through the process and hoped for the best. And we're just, you know, true to ourselves and the brand. And the, the, so Shark Tank itself was an awesome experience to do. I was definitely completely blackout from nerves the entire time I was filming. I don't remember a single thing. Um, so I feel like I was watching it for the first time with everybody when everybody was watching it because of how nervous I was. I didn't really remember much from the day, but it was, uh, everyone was great. All of the sharks are so nice. When the episode aired was just really strange timing because it aired the week that we had gone into a little bit of a shutdown, um, because of the Corona situation. And so on one hand, we really wanted to celebrate this amazing exposure that we just got, this amazing experience. We made a deal with Kevin O'Leary. So we have this amazing new partner that we're so excited to celebrate working with. And the next day we're, you know, hit with this reality of everything kind of shutting down. And we had to handle those emotions of really wanting to celebrate and ride this wave for as long as possible, but then very quickly needing to just internalize and say, okay, well, now we actually have a situation. Let's think about how this is going to affect us and focus on the business in Corona versus what we really wanted to do is just celebrate Shark Tank for as long as possible. Right, right. I can understand how that that's a, you know, a, a bit of an awkward timing. Now, Kevin did a debt deal with you, right? He did, yes. So we were offered two deals on Shark Tank. We were offered an equity deal by Barbara and a debt deal with Kevin. Uh, at the at the moment we were there, both investors I respect so much and would have been amazing. Um, would have been amazing partners. At that time, I made the decision to take Kevin's debt deal because, you know, debt is cheaper than equity and we could hold on to a little bit of our equity while managing the debt that he gave us and still having him as a partner and adding value to, to the business because he, he now owns a part of our business. So, um, and so far it's been great. He's, him and his team have just been wonderful partners. And I respect Barbara very much for even giving us an offer. Um, we really love her, but at that point, I think it was the best decision to make for the business. I mean, I mean, the fact that you were given two offers by, by the Sharks, the choice was actually in your hands. I mean, wow, just very, very impressive. How has COVID uh, affected your strategy and your company and maybe changed um, how you operate? Yes, COVID has been a bit of a scary time uh, just because of the uncertainty. I'm very grateful that we had this silver lining of Shark Tank that just happened. So we had a lot of really great growth in our sales channels online. People are also ordering more online. They're also ordering shelf-stable pantry items online. And our Shark Tank airing to 8 million people obviously uh, boosted our sales that month. So we were, I'm really, really grateful for that, um, that we had that at the beginning of the month. But, you know, it's very important to, to you know, for us right now, looking at what to do with Corona is uh, quite a challenge. What has affected us the most is that our retail um, 
our sort of revenue engine at the retail level has been stopped because we can't do any demos. We can't do any in-store sampling. And for us, our product is still quite new. It's still, you know, not necessarily selling itself off of the shelf because the awareness is just not as high as some more mature brands that have been in the market for many, many years. And so one of the most important retail execution elements for us is sampling. We know how important it is for us and it's very, very successful. Our return on sampling and demos is extremely high. We sell out mostly, most of our demos that we sample, uh, where we're sampling in stores, we sell all of our bags out off of the shelf. So we know when someone tries the product, they really like it. So it's really, really tough to not have that element of being able to sample in stores at the moment. That, um, of course, has, even if we wanted to, stores aren't even taking promos and things at the moment. So we've had uh, definitely a slowdown in general, but um, our online sales are continuing to do well and we're continuing to drive traffic to that. You know, from a supply chain perspective, I think one of the really important things that I think is, I think that is going to affect many companies and the way that they look at their supply chains moving forward is that it's going to be sort of resilience ahead of efficiency. I think before it used to be efficiency ahead of resilience. And, you know, having this globalized supply chain may have been efficient, but what's very scary at this time right now is that, you know, when you have this unprecedented experience that we're, that we're facing, that you need to really be resilient. A business needs to be built to be resilient during a time like this. The fact that we control our supply chain from the back end, uh, we're so grateful for because we are able to ensure we have stock, we have stock locally, we have, we own our inventory, um, and that and that we can do that. So we're in a, we're, in a, we're still in a great position. But it's really important to think about that in the long term that uh, resilience is going to be really important now to think about um, hopefully something like this never happens again but it, should it we have to be built for resilience you're making me reflect on my own purchasing behaviors when i go into store and, and try out different uh different foods and how are you thinking about like top line growth versus profitability uh right now because you know this is such a tough time we're working through that i think right now uh, we do want to continue to grow. We are growing. We don't want to to stop that. We are making sure that we're we're being cost efficient um, in things that are not necessary at this time. Um, but we are continuing to invest in growth. Our this is a time where I think our product fits really well into people's lives. The twelve month shelf stable. It's a nutrient dense ingredient. It's a snack the whole family can enjoy. We have variety in our flavors. So I think this is actually a really, really good time for products like ours. And therefore I want to continue focusing on growing the company. Uh, of course, profitability is always um, a priority and we continue to work towards that. Um, really, really happy about the growth that we've seen in just the past few months. And so, we are continuing to stay on that trajectory. We have, of course, uh, controlled some of our budgets and extra marketing spend and things that we we weren't getting the highest ROI on at the moment. So we're just being taking a step back on on some different marketing channels, but 
continuing to grow as a priority. Got it. Thank you. We've talked about the past. We've talked about the present. I want to talk about the future. What are you, how are you thinking about the superfood snack space in the U.S.? Right. I'm so excited about it. I think that this is such a beautiful ingredient that I'm so proud to be able to be introducing to this market. It's so great to see other popped water lily seed brands enter the market and help to build that category together. We're getting validation from our consumers, from the from our other stakeholders. Uh, it's great to see all of us kind of coming together and building that category in the store. I think that biodiversity of new ingredients and the consum- consumer's openness to biodiversity is helping a lot. I'm excited to see new ingredients in the snack space that Um, customers are willing to try I think it's just going to be onwards and upwards we're we're offering new ingredients we're offering nutritious ingredients I think consumers care about supply chain they care about transparency they care about putting something healthy and nutritious and for the in front of their families and for all of those I think all of those reasons, I think um, Bohana has a bright future. How you think about the product mix? Is it going to be surrounded by the pop water lily seeds? Or are you thinking about maybe um, other products as well? So at Bohana, we believe in free spirit snacking. It's actually our uh, trademark, our tagline. So we believe in free spirit snacking. We It's actually our tagline. And what it means is listening to your body and doing what works for you. So not following prescriptive diets or trendy fads, but tuning in, figure out what works for your body and um, it will ultimately lead to the best health and wellness for you. So at our core, Bohana will always be a free spirit snacking company. We are starting with the water lily seed. Uh, I think there are amazing ingredients coming from uh, Ayurveda, coming from India that we have access to, also here in the U.S. that we have access to. Uh, We will continue to develop products with the popped water lily seed for sure. Uh, We have a beautiful supply chain that we want to continue to leverage and also to continue to add value to the the supply chain in India as well. So we'll continue to do that for sure. Um, But I'm also excited that we definitely have some other, uh, other free spirit snacks in the mix. I really like um, how you really thought it seemed at the very, very beginning, thinking about the brand and how it's free spirit. And so you can introduce a lot of other types of, of these products. What's one book that inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally? One, a book that was recommended to me by uh, a Babson alumni, actually, who started a food and beverage business was called How to Sell Your Specialty Food. <laughs> and it sounds simple, but it was the best intro to specialty food that I could have had. It broke down all of the stakeholders, all of the basics in, in building out the, the different supply chains and models and pricing that you needed to know. It was honestly a crash course in starting a food business. And I would recommend it to anybody who wanted, who wants to start a food business, how to sell your, how to sell your specialty food. And you can find it on Amazon. And I would say like most recently, one of the books that inspired me personally was uh, Shoe Dog uh, by Knight Phil, founder of Nike. And that was really inspiring for me just to hear his story, his resilience uh, and his passion and how he he struggled to go through his journey that eventually evolved into what Nike is. And that was really, really amazing for me. 
That's awesome. You're, I think, the like fourth or fifth guest I've had on the show to reference uh, Shoe Dog. What's one piece of advice that you have for early founders that are producing consumer products? I would say get as much feedback as humanly possible. <laughs> Just share your product with everybody that you possibly can. Ask all the questions and listen carefully because uh, we sometimes get so immersed in our brand and our bubble that we tend to get uh, laser focused on something that may not be the right thing to be laser focused on. So get as much feedback as possible from people, listen really carefully and don't take it too personally because it's never personal. (laughs) No, I think that's a great, great piece of advice. Thank you so much, Nadine. Well, Nadine, this has been uh, fabulous. I, 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 I hope you had a great time. I certainly did. I think that your company is very, very interesting. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And there you have it. It was such a pleasure having Nadine on. And if you'd like to follow Nadine, you can at Nadino DXB. If you're enjoying the show, if you could please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app as it helps other folks find it, that would really be helpful. If you're a founder and working on something innovative, have a question you'd like to hear VCs or founders answer on the show, you can DM me and follow me on Twitter at Mike Gelb. You can also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. For all episodes, please visit theconsumervc.com. Thanks again for listening, folks.